So uh, y'all remember Sid Langley, right? Who was here with Samaritan's Purse? Yes. So I don't know if you know this, but Sid um, went from the Bahamas to Alaska. And uh, boy, that's quite a change, isn't it? And he went all the way up to Alaska. And um, can you imagine that change uh, from this tropical environment to that harsh cold environment. Even, even now, it's summer there, but it's still rather chilly. So uh, the Department of Natural Wildlife um, in Alaska, they issued a, uh, some guidelines for, um, for people because of the bears. Now, they're black bears and they're grizzly bears, and um, you don't want to tangle with either one of them. But a grizzly bear is especially bad. That's one people really watch out for. And the guidelines stated this, that when you're in the woods, um, that you should wear little bells on your clothes so you make noise as you're going through the woods, and that uh, in case you do stumble across a bear and you startle them, um, have some pepper spray with you and you can ward them off. Now, the warning went on also to say this. It's important to be able to recognize any fresh and recent bear activity, and the way you do that is you look for their, you know, for their poop. And said the seasoned outdoorsman says this, can easily recognize the difference between the droppings of a black bear and the droppings of a grizzly bear. Okay, and here's the difference. The droppings of a black bear contain little fresh berries. The droppings of a grizzly bear will contain little bells and smell like pepper. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, one day we will leave this world. um, And one day you're going to leave this island. All of us will. And you might say, I would ask you this question. What will people remember you for when you leave here? Now, you might remember me for some things while I've been here, when I leave this island. You might remember me for that night when I was over at, uh, at Grabbers for Karaoke and I sang uh, Hotel California with Alton. Only, you know, about 2,000 people saw that on Facebook. You might remember me as the guy that got stung in the face by wasp over and over again. Um, or you might remember the guy that helped do things around here like build cabinets and raise walls and put on roofs. You might remember me as that visiting pastor who gave those really long sermons. So what will you be remembered for? What will your legacy be? when you leave Guanaki, And you might say this, um, I'd ask you this, so what do you think you're known for now? What were you known for in the past? And what do you want to be known for when you leave? What is your legacy? Um, Now I know news around here isn't um, what it is in some places because of the way we live, but you may have heard this past week there was a very historic event in the world. A peace treaty was signed between Israel the United States, the uh, United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Very historic. Peace in the Middle East has been something that's sought after for years and years, trying to end the wars over there. So what's happened? Now, when something like that happens, usually somebody is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because of their work they did with that. Doesn't always happen. It usually does. Now, you may not know this, but the Nobel Peace Prize is named for a specific person. He was an inventor. He had over 300 patents. His name was Alfred, Alfred Nobel. Now, um, he received a patent for dynamite in 1867, and um, he said this, my dynamite will sooner lead uh, to peace than a thousand world conventions. As soon as men find out that at one instant, whole armies can be utterly destroyed, they will surely abide by the golden rule. Now, that did not prove true, did it? No, it did not. And his explosive was used in lots of battles and wars. And um, and a strange thing happened in 1888, his brother, Ludwig, Alfred's brother Ludwig, died, and a French newspaper got it wrong. They thought that Alfred had died, and so they published his obituary ahead of schedule. And here's what they said. The merchant of death 
is dead. Now, when Mr. Nobel read that obituary, he did not like the way people saw him. And he decided to change the way people saw him. So what he did was this. He took his vast fortune, 94% of all his total assets, which is the equivalent of about $186 million. And he set that aside and he established the Nobel Foundation. And what they did is they gave five specific prizes for advances and outstanding achievements in medicine, uh, physics, chemistry, literature, and peace. So today, when you hear the name Alfred Nobel, you most likely think about something like the Nobel Peace Prize, and you probably don't think about the merchant of death. So I want to ask you again, what are you known for? What were you known for? And what do you want to be known for? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so very grateful for this day that you, you call us out and you brought us here together. I pray, Lord, that this will be a, a study that pleases you, that these words will be your words, that your Holy Spirit would work through me, that you would work in the hearts of all gathered here, that we would hear your voice, that we would incline our ear towards you, we would draw near to you, and you would draw near to us. And we will leave here today different, better, changed people than when we first arrived. And I ask it to be done in the mighty and powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So today I want to tell you a story about a family um, that uh, was a very mixed, was called a mixed family, a blended family. The father of the family was married to two different women. He had children with each of the wives, and that blended family came together, and it suffered all types of strife, um, hatred, scandal. Um, everything right up to the threshold of murder happened in that family. Um, in fact, the jealousy between these two wives as they were vying for the love of this man, this husband, it became so fierce. They did unspeakable things. Um, they, 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 this, the, their worst behaviors possible that you can imagine came out in this family. Deceit, revenge, murder, adultery, uh, false imprisonment. I mean, it reaches up to the highest halls of power, uh, of a superpower of the day. Now, a story that is this sordid can only be found in one place, the Bible. So, I know. So, and I left, I left some of the worst parts out. So, if you turn in your Bible to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, you can look in chapter 37. And today we're going to look at a grandson of Abraham. Uh, his name is Jacob. Now, he has two wives, Leah and Rachel. Now, Jacob loved Rachel but he was tricked into marrying Leah. And that is a story for another time. Now in the culture of those days, the sign of the blessing of God was that you had a big family. For a wife, the greatest service she could give to a husband as a sign of approval from God for her was that she was able to have lots of children. Now for them, lots of children meant that God loved you. It doesn't mean that God loves you if you have lots of children, if you have no children. God loves you because of who you are, because he made you, all right? But in that day, in that culture, in that society, that's what that meant. Like today, you might say that uh, uh, someone who has a wealth is a sign of God's blessing, and someone who's poor is a sign of God's uh, displeased with them. But that's not true either. God loves rich and poor. He loves those, everyone, equally. He has, loves you with an, un, um, an immeasurable love that cannot be affected by what you do. He loves you all the time. Now, Jacob had 13 sons between Rachel and Leah and the two handmaids of his wives. And that also is another story for another time. Now, Leah was less loved by Jacob 
but she gave her husband seven sons. Rachel, Jacob's first love, his sweetheart, was only able to give birth twice. So she gave him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And sadly, Rachel died in childbirth with Benjamin on their way to Bethlehem. Benjamin was the baby. He ended up being the last son of the 13 boys. Now, Jacob, as a grandson of Abraham, who was the richest, one of the richest men in the world at the time, he was alive. He inherited a lot of land and livestock. And Joseph, even though he was the next to youngest uh, son in this family of 13 brothers, he was given special place in the family. Daddy really liked him. He elevated him to what you might call a manager or a supervisor for the entire operation. Um, and there are commentators who say that uh, Joseph, you may remember Joseph with the coat of many colors. It's a story we probably studied in Sunday school. There was a Broadway musical called uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You may have heard of that one. Now listen, it's all about, that coat is all about conveying a position of authority, a symbol of authority. And so that's what that's about. Many, some people say that coat had a lot of pockets in it. So as a manager, you walked around some big operation, you'd have to have all kinds of things with you all the time to manage that operation. So that coat was a manager's coat. It symbolized it. It was a big deal. And all the brothers knew it, and they knew that Joseph was daddy's favorite. Now, there were 13 brothers, and there were two wives. Now, sadly, the same way that Jacob favored this one wife over the, over the other, he did the same with all those sons. Favorites. Don't play favorites. Favoritism is a deadly activity, especially in family relationships. Favoritism, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but favoritism is another form of discrimination. You see, it is like when you dislike one person for something, or you favor one person for something, that they have no choice in what makes them up that way. You might like the color of their eyes, or their hair, or their height. Don't favor one child over another. You might like the way they uh, look. Maybe they remind you of you when you were younger. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Please, love all your children with an equal love. A love that is so huge and so grand that each child thinks that they are the favorite. Now, husbands, don't be like Jacob. Don't favor one of your wives over another. You need to equally love them. No, wait, this isn't a Mormon gathering, is it? It's a different audience, a different message, a different time. Sorry. Favoritism, though, is painful, and it's very deadly. Okay? Now watch out how, much, uh, how it causes so much emotional pain in this family. God has put this family together. He wants to illustrate the depth of his love for all of us. Now, in Genesis chapter uh, 37 and verse 4, uh, the father tells the brothers um, who were loved less, who were hated, one day, their daddy, who loved them the most, they came along and they saw their brother. And it says that they could not speak peaceably to him. Their hatred for their brother was so great, they could not say not just anything, a kind word, nothing. They were so filled for hate, with hatred for this little brother. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever endured something like that in your life? Jesus endured a similar treatment. His brothers and sisters rejected him in Mark 6 uh, and verse 4 and John 7, 3 through 5. Jesus and his brothers and sisters, yeah, he had brothers and sisters. 
Now, aren't you glad you didn't grow up in a family like that, where Jesus was your brother? Can you imagine that? What would you hear all the time? Why can't you be more like your brother? Jesus never gets in trouble at school. He always makes his bed up in the morning. He helps out around here. That would be a rough family to grow up in, wouldn't it? It would. Well, listen, one night, Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, the next day, he shares it with his brothers. Now, did you ever have a dream when you were younger? Something God put on your heart to do or to become? Did you happen to share that dream with anyone? Did you tell your friends or your family? How did they react? Look at how Joseph's family reacts in verse 5. He told it, his dream to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Did you experience something like that? When you shared an idea or a thought with someone? Now here's his dream in verse 7. We brothers were binding sheaves in the field. They're gathering grain. They're taking the sheaves, they're tying them up in bundles, and they're standing them, putting them down, putting them around. And he says, while we're doing this, mine stood upright. And yours fell down around mine. And his brothers in verse 8 said, are you going to reign over us? Are you going to have us as your subjects? Are you going to dominate us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and for what he said. Now, Joseph had another dream. And sadly or wisely or unwisely, unfortunately, he decided to share that dream with his family as well. And in verse 9, he shares this dream. It's a dream about the sun and the moon and 11 stars. And the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed down to him. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. What could that mean? In verse 10, his dad lit into him, and his father told him this. He said that, what is the meaning of this dream that you've had here? Is it that I am going to bow down to you and your mother and your brothers? Are you expecting us to worship you? Now, let me warn you about something. Anger. Anger. And we all get angry sometimes. Anger is one letter away from danger. And be careful when you feel anger. Because when anger comes into your heart, it can very easily put you in a dangerous place. Anger can be deadly. It can clog your thinking. It can distort your judgment. Not long after this, one day, Papa Jacob sends Joseph on an errand to check up on the brothers to see how they're doing. Now, Joseph cannot find them. So he takes some direction from a stranger who found Joseph out wandering in the fields. And in verse 15, the man asked him this, said, what are you looking for? Now be careful when you listen to and then try to get your direction for what you're seeking from a stranger. Because if the answer they're giving you is not based on godly principles and biblical answers, that answer will lead you down the wrong path. It will lead you to ruin and destruction. It's okay to have a question about God in the Bible. It's okay even to have doubts. All the disciples doubted who Jesus was at one point. Only do this. Come to me, or George, or, or Randy, or Jimmy, or Mike. Come to somebody who wants to help you. Somebody who wants to show you the right path. Someone who believes in Scripture, who have faith in God and the Bible and what it says. Be careful when you're given direction. Make sure it's given from someone who has biblical counsel. They're trying to help you. Now notice what Jesus, Joseph did. He did not approach the stranger. The stranger approached him. 
And in verse 15, a certain man found him, and behold, he was lost, lost in his way, wandering out in the open country. And the man asked him this, what are you trying to find? Now let me ask you the same question. What are you trying to find? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you doing? And what do you do? Are you asking the right people for direction? In verse 16, he answers the man. He says, I'm looking for my brother. Joseph replied, and do you know where they are pasturing the sheep? And the man said this, they were here, but they've gone. I heard them say, let's go down to Dothan. And Joseph went with his brothers and he found them in Dothan. Now his brothers, they saw him coming. And the hatred and the anger, it just welled up inside of them. At the very sight of their little brother. And immediately they started a plot to kill him. Kill the man and he killed the dream. In verse 18, they saw him coming from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. And by verse 20, they say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what becomes of his dreams. Now, the devil wants to put you in a pit. He wants to put you in a place where God is unable to do anything with you. And one of the brothers, Reuben, the oldest brother, heard what they were saying. He tried to change their minds. He said, let us not kill him. In verse 22, why should we shed innocent blood? Let us throw him down here into one of these empty cisterns, here out in this wilderness, this desert, and then he'll just die without us laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Now, Reuben, he appears to exit the scene before the little brother gets there because when we get to verse 29, we see this. Now, Reuben, unaware of what had happened, returned to the pit. And to his great alarm, he found Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes in deep sorrow and he rejoined his brothers. And he said, the boy's not there. And as for me, where am I supposed to go to hide from dad? Dad's going to find out. What am I supposed to do? Dad's going to kill me. And then the cover-up begins. And you see down in verse 23, the hateful brothers, they take that coat that symbolized the authority and love of their brother, and they just rip it up into pieces. And then they take the blood of one of those animals nearby, and they cut it, and they just dip it in that blood. In verse 23, they throw Joseph in the pit to die. In verse 25, the brothers sit down to eat. And as they sit there and eat, they see a caravan of traders coming across the desert. And Judah has an idea. Why just kill this punk kid? Why just destroy little brother when we can sell him to some slave traders and make some money? And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been used by others for their advantage. Or maybe you've used others for, their, for your own advantage. Either way, either end of that stick is a very painful event by the time it reaches its end. By verse 28, Judah has negotiated the sale of his little brother for 20 pieces of silver. In verse 31, the brothers then start the cover-up story. They kill the goat, they dip his beautiful coat in blood, and they send it to their dad. And later on in verse 32, they come along and they say, we found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? I mean, do you hear how cold that is? They don't even say, do you think this is our little brother's coat? It's your son. Complete disownership. Does this look like it belongs to your boy? And in the absence of information, 
Jacob allows his imagination to rush in and he believes a wild animal has killed his son, his beloved. Jacob is just stricken with grief and sorrow to the point in verse 35, he thinks he is just going to die. His grief and his sorrow is so deep. He thinks it will kill him. Now, maybe you had a dream in your life. Maybe when you were younger, maybe you were despised. Maybe you were despised for your dream or even having it. A seed of discontent is planted and it grows into a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness will devour you in a lifetime of trouble. In Genesis 37, chapter 37, Joseph had a dream as a young man and it drove his family to the point of murder. His brothers sold him as a slave and they lied to their father about what is his death and they set up a crime scene to mislead their daddy. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What were these boys like as young men? What were they known for? What was the remembrance that Joseph had of his brothers every day? Every day after the day they bound him up as a slave and sold him into a foreign land. Did they ever change? Did Joseph ever change? Did Joseph grow bitter and angry and resentful? Did his brothers ever regret condemning their brother to a lifetime as a slave? And what about their father with breaking heart? That lie, that lie that they told him. How many times did they hear their father weeping and crying himself to sleep at night for his son, his dearly beloved son. I wonder if any of those brothers ever changed. If any of them ever thought about coming to dad one day and saying, I got to tell you something, it's just killing me. You got to know the truth. Joseph, maybe he's alive somewhere in Egypt, dad. Our brothers and I, we all just, we messed it up and here's what we did. But they kept that family secret. They kept it hidden away and they just gnawed at him. Just gnawed away eaten inside of him. So what were each of these people remembered for? One wonders. What have you been known for doing? What's that event in your past? That event that you think defines you? That day that everyone remembers when you, for whatever reason, you fill in the blank. What are you known for now? And but more importantly, what do you want to be known for in the future when you leave this island? And you say, this is my home. I'm never leaving here. <sighs> One day, you will leave here. You will leave on a boat or a ferry or a helicopter or a seaplane. Or you will leave in a wooden box carried by six strong men. And people will throw dirt in your face. You will leave this island one day, and you will be known for something. So what will people remember about you? What is your legacy? What is your reputation based on? What is that event? What is the activity that you do now that people know you for? What is that character trait that some people associate with you? What is a character flaw that some people associate with you? Your legacy is that part of you that you will leave behind on this island. And that part of you, it will continue in your absence. Now, 
As, as you sit here and your mind is just racing through all these scenarios, all these options of what are you known for? What will you be known for? What do you want to be known for? Let me just ask you this question. Are you pleased? Are you pleased with what you think about you that will continue in your absence? As Joseph and his brothers part ways, certain things continued in their absence for each of them. For his brothers, their father continued to love Joseph. The love of their father did not transfer to them. It did not migrate over. Instead, Papa focused all his love on the younger brother, Benjamin, the one whose mom died in childbirth on the way to Bethlehem. The father's love for that last son Rachel gave him grew stronger and stronger every day. He was the last little remnant of her in his life. In other words, the attention and appreciation, the admiration, all they thought would come to them. In the absence of the dreamer, Joseph, it did not come to them. Papa poured all that love and protection into the only son that he had from that sweetheart wife, Rachel. Joseph's father, Jacob, was a schemer. I don't know if you know about him. He schemed all through his life. Now his son Joseph was a dreamer. Which would you rather be known as? The schemer or the dreamer? Now for us, the main villain in our story of Joseph is his brother, Judah. The one that hatched the plan to kill him and sell him and all that bad stuff. Now, the oldest brother, Reuben, is the one who tried to do the right thing. He tried to be a hero. He tried to rescue young Joseph, but... He was absent at a very critical time. They had murder in their hearts, and they were determined to destroy this young dreamer, Joseph. And they had greed, and that greed outweighed all their plans. It outweighed hope and hate. It overcame him, and Joseph was sold as a slave. Has there been a time when you had a dream and you saw that someone was going astray and you had planned to intervene in their life, you'd planned to help them, but life got in the way? And the results you wanted didn't quite work out like you wanted. There's a lesson here for us. We need to stay engaged. We need to stay engaged in the lives of those around us that we love and we care about if we expect their life to turn out right. Now, you may think Judah is a real scoundrel for leading the plot to kill his brother and sell him and all that stuff. But that's nothing compared to what happens in chapter 38. And I won't go into that today, but let me just say this. There are some folks that this incident in 38... Chapter 38, it shows the depths of wickedness a man can sink to. And I want to tell you this, no matter how big a mess Judah made, and for that matter, how big a mess you make, God can still take your mess and he can make a message. He can still use your failure to complete his story. And by the time we reach chapter 42, Joseph is 30 years old. He's still alive. God has used Joseph as an example of obedience under extremely difficult circumstances. Joseph is accused of a crime he did not commit. He's, he's sent to prison, and through a set of circumstances that only God can arrange, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. And now Joseph is the most important man, the most powerful man in all the kingdom of Egypt, next to Pharaoh. God warned Pharaoh in a dream there were going to be seven years of famine that would hit the region. And Pharaoh made Joseph the gatekeeper of all the storehouses of food that were collected over seven years of plenty. Now, Papa Jacob sends those brothers, all of them, except for the one he loves now, Benjamin, the baby. 
down to Egypt to collect grain for the family because they're starving during the famine. He's heard that someone in Egypt has food. Go get something so we don't die. Reuben, Judah, and all the brothers come face to face with Joseph. But Joseph looks different. Joseph had to adopt the ways of the Pharaohs to be in his court. He's speaking Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He has a haircut like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. For all they know, to these brothers, he is an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. The brothers who hated and despised and wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery, they did not recognize him when they saw him. They thought he was dead. They did not recognize him. But Joseph... He knows exactly who they are. And he wants to know, are they the way they used to be? Have they changed? He wants to know, what are they like now? Are they still selfish and mean? And Joseph has an opportunity to exact his revenge on these men. Think about this. He's the second most powerful man in all of Pharaoh's kingdom. And he could have said, throw them in a pit and let's see how they like it. Or let me make you my slaves. Or... I'm going to kill you all. He could have done that. He had the power to do it. And he may have had those thoughts. We don't see that now. How much of your idle time is used up as you rehearse some past incident in your life where you were hurt, where you were wounded by others? Maybe you were falsely accused of something, and maybe you were even wrongfully punished, and you just seethe with anger every time it comes to your mind. Let me clue you in on something. Most likely, that person or those people have long forgotten what happened that day, and you are the one wasting life and time rehearsing that past that imprisons you. You've imprisoned yourself. Now, Joseph could have done that, he, but he didn't. He devises a series of tests for his brothers to see if they are still full of hate and envy and murder in their hearts, And Joseph puts a squeeze on these brothers, and he accuses them of being spies. He throws them in the prison for three days, and he discovers that his father is still alive, his little brother, the baby brother Benjamin, is still alive. And he tells them, if you're telling me the truth, one of you will have to stay in this prison, and you have to bring some food to your family, but you got to bring that baby brother back here so I can see him alive to know you're telling the truth and know he's still alive. And if you don't come back, I'm going to kill your brother. He's put him to a real hard test. Joseph is a smart guy, and now he's forced the brothers to make some really hard choices. Who stays in prison in Egypt? Who goes and tells dad we got to bring back the baby brother? And who tells him that we left one of your sons behind in prison as a hostage who may die? Now, the brothers don't know that Joseph can understand what they're saying because the whole time he's been speaking Egyptian to them through an interpreter, and he hears them say one to another in verse 21. He discovers that they are sorry for what they did to him and that they think God is punishing them for mistreating Joseph. And Joseph just breaks down into tears. He has to leave the room. Joseph finds out that these brothers are now honest. They care about each other. They value the lives of each other. And regardless of who their mother is, Joseph could have exacted his revenge on them, but he chose to rise above his past to embrace a new path of forgiveness. 
Joseph set his brothers up for a testing of their hearts, and he discovered that they had grown into men who cared about others, that they felt guilty for the pain they caused in the family, and they wanted to bring healing to their family. All the pain that this family experienced started when one person played favorites. And 30 years of family history was lost because the family could not get along. How much of your life has to pass you by before you realize it's over and you have not won anything and all you've done is lost time and memories and love. Your selfish hard heart has lost years that you cannot get back. Are you willing today to just refuse to accept bitterness as a viable way of life? Are you willing to refuse to accept hatred as a viable way of life? When you live your life in hope and not hate, that's a heroic act. Reconciliation. That is my hope for you. If you are willing to lower your pride and realize that we all fall short of the standards of God, that even the standards that we assign to others, we don't hold up to those standards. And then humility. If you can extend forgiveness, that forgiveness will bring reconciliation. And that reconciliation, that's going to bring a new path for your relationships. First, it's going to change your relationship with God, and then it's going to change your relationship with people. So let me finish where I started. What will you be remembered for? And what is your legacy? What are you known for? What were you known for? And what do you want to be known for? Now, if you don't like the answer that comes to your mind, today is your opportunity to change it. Will you be willing today to let God change that part of you that you don't like and that you cannot change? No matter how hard you try, or no matter how much time you engage in it, today is your day for a new path. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for the offer of a new path that you give us today. You tell us in Malachi, but you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings and you shall go out leaping like a calf from a stall. You'll be so happy in that forgiveness. You said in Isaiah that the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare, for they spring forth and I tell you of them. And you say, so you shall know. I have said this. I've sent this command and it'll be a new covenant with you. God, today you offer a new path for all of us. You offer reconciliation and forgiveness and healing. And I ask you now, Lord, if anybody here would be willing just to receive that reconciliation, that forgiveness, to let that go and have a new path. Let them have the courage just to raise their hands to you in prayer in the silence of their heart to experience that and to have that. God, I pray you give us a new path. You give forgiveness to us. You'd help us to live that out this week, to turn away from hatred, accept hope. There's a new path you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I ask it to be done. Amen.
Let's sing a song. up the order a little bit. And so right now we're going to prepare to offer you uh, to have an opportunity to, to join the communion of Christ today as we offer his body and his blood for each of us to receive in communion. So So I don't know if you know it, but on that night, the last supper that Jesus had on earth before he was crucified, that night, he gathered with his disciples to celebrate Passover. And he told them this. He said that this bread that I'm breaking and giving to you, it's not what it used to be. It's something new and different. This is my body. I'm offering it for you. I'm giving it to you as an offering to God for forgiveness. He took that bread and he thanked God for it and he blessed it and he offered it to all of them saying, take and eat, this is my body broken and given for you. In the same way, in that meal, he took the cup of wine and he said, this isn't what it used to be. You're going to see something different tonight. This is my blood, the perfect blood the final sacrifice of blood for the forgiveness of sins. He thanked God for it and he blessed it and he offered it to all of them saying, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you, forgiveness of your sins. And he said, as often as you will eat this bread and drink this cup, you will remember this sacrifice I'm making for you. And one day I'll come back for you and I will drink from this cup again with you. So today I offer to you an invitation to have a part in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. <laughs> 